um, doing that properly is called standard care. Standard care. That's the one where we say that other another EMT who's trained and in a similar situation would respond reasonably the same way you did or not. That's the standard of care. But to come up with what that is, we use our physician advisor. And when do we work under the license of our physician advisor? All the time. Always. Shelby, you look like you were working on a question. No? Just stuffing food into your mouth. All right, good. All right, don't bite your fingers. So we use them all the time, and we've got two different ways to work under their license. One of them are things called protocols. Let's say that, Dan, if you show up and you've got a patient with abdominal pain, we want you to take vital signs, put them in a position of comfort, consider giving them oxygen. If you have IV certification, we probably want you to give an IV, right? Those are called? Written online. Standing orders. Standing orders. Standing orders or protocols. That's not online, that is offline. offline okay? Because we're not actually talking to someone. If I were to call up and say, uh, hey, Doc, this is uh, EMT Russell with Front Range Ambulance. I'm on scene with a 48-year-old female with a chief complaint of chest pain. I'd like to go ahead and give her 0.4 milligrams of nitro uh, sublingually, one tab every three to five minutes, making sure I keep her systolic blood pressure above 90. Here's the rest of her story. I'd also like to give her 324 milligrams of aspirin. And the doc says, yes, that's a good plan. <clears throat> what are those? Online. 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 Face-to-face, over-the-phone, some type of direct communication thing if it's radio or otherwise, right? But we always work under theirs um, license, and we do it one of those two ways. Now, once you get done with this class, are you done in EMS? No. No. What are you going to do? Keep learning, because that's called continuing education. Now, the most common class to take immediately after this class is the IV class. We'll be offering two this summer. I'll be teaching those. Um, and... Honestly, if you want to work, that's probably the most valuable class you can take immediately following this class. There's also an EKG class. I don't know if I'll be teaching that or Mitch will be teaching it. I might be teaching it, we'll see. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, um, the EKG class is an extra add-on that may help. It fits the hours for continuing education. The state requires that you have continuing education in specific little bits and pieces. National Registry also requires those same kind of things. And so when you look at this, you have to fit um, your education into some pigeonholes, right? So you may have to get a little creative. There are things called refresher classes. They handle part of your hours, but not necessarily all of them, all right? What's quality improvement? It's like you're checking after a, a, like a run to reviews like, and audits. Sure. Checking in after a run, how did we do? Reviews and audits, talking to the nurses and doctors, how did they do? Following up on patient care, looking at the statistics of what worked and didn't work, how many IVs you had, and finding a plan forward. Again, this fits under that rule number two. It's okay to make mistakes, it's never okay to lie about them. Because if you miss an IV, so what? You missed an IV, we all do. I have been teaching the IV class since like 1995 or 96, right? But I still miss IVs, and there's some patients I've missed two or three IVs on, and I'm like, yep, someone else has to go in and try stabbing this person. You know, could I keep trying? Sure. Could I eventually get it? Maybe. But we all have that patient that day, and there's people who go in, and I miss two lines, and I walk out, I'm like, go give it a shot. They're like, oh, you a huge one right here. I didn't feel it. I didn't find it. But they did. It's okay. There's no skin off my nose. In fact, it's better for the patient that they got it that next round. Okay. Um, workplace stuff, five emotional stages of death and dying. What's our little acronym I told you about? NABDA. What's the D? Denial. Denial. It's not just a river in Egypt, right? No, this can't be. It's not right. Second opinion, all of that stuff. 
What is A? Anger. Anger. Ah! Right? B? Okay, but if. Then? Ah. This is a lot like Angler, only more subtle. And then? All right, cool. Take me, sweet death. I, I embrace your loving, right, whatever. I love you. Kill me. Okay? So, I await your loving embrace. That's what it is. I'm like, come on. It's a giraffe talking. You should be able to quote a giraffe. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, which one is the one that usually takes the longest? Acceptance. Acceptance. Depression. Depression. Oh, I mean, lasts the longest. Not takes the longest, but lasts the longest. And it's usually depression. Sometimes people skip around these stages, but you know, when they hit that depression side, it tends to be the one that hangs on for the longest. Right? They don't have to go in the same order. This affects the patient. This also affects who? Family. Family and friends. Us, right? To some degree. Um, losing a patient sucks. Right? The things that we see sucks. And to some degree, there's that process as well. Um, how do we help the family deal with grief? Be sympathetic or empathetic. Empathetic's better than sympathetic, right? right? What's the difference? One, you're, oh, I'm so sorry. The other one's like you're, you're helping them understand that it's a shitty situation. Yeah, one you, one you say, one you show, I think is an easy way to oh, yeah. say it. Or is that kind of what you were hitting, Zach? Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's part of it. Honesty is a big one, right? You have to be honest with them. Don't make up stuff like they're gone, they left. They died, okay? Um, when you use weird words, you know, that people can take in different ways, you, it's not making it better. I am sorry your father died. There was nothing else we could do. Here's the things that we tried, okay? Um, those, are, those are important things. Um, and being ready, is it okay to cry in EMS? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little bit. The tear leaks out your eyes. We're emotional creatures, right? Yeah, you shouldn't have them being like, it's okay. Dude. He's old. All right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, so much life to live. What kind of things do you see in stress situations? Like you drop Like certain symptoms. What's the, by the way, what's the difference between a sign and a symptom? What's a sign? You see it or hear it. See, feel, touch, tangible, right? Yeah, Objective. What's yeah. a symptom? Something that subjective. Yes, I feel hot. I feel nauseous. I feel pretty, right? Um, the feely stuff, right? I am nauseous. I don't even have to use the word feel. Feel. I'm hot. Whatever. Those are the same kind of things. Unless you're like a sorority girl, and they're like, I'm hot. And you're like, you're drunk. <laughs> um, you know, those strong stress incidents, the critical stress incidents, what are the ones that we think of that kind of rise to the top that hit that criteria? Multiple casualties. Yeah, multiple casualties for sure. You know, and it does, like I said, it doesn't even have to be the Murrah building or 9-11 or the Aurora shooting, but you know, you show up and you've got, um, you know, a minivan that had four or five kids in it, that's still a big deal. What else? I didn't understand the Kids, question. yeah. Uh, the things that fall under the high, the strong stress, oh, oh. Um, critical incident things. Children, for sure. Yeah. Co-workers, right? We work with the fire department as much as I tease them when one of our firefighters gets hurt. It's a big deal. Same thing with the cops. Same thing with just our people, right? Um, 
if you're ever out there and you're on the street and you hear that an ambulance crashed, okay, everybody gets stressed. Everybody wants to go help. Everybody wants to flood to that scene. And it's more stressful because you can't. Because you have to stay in your district. You have to do what your assignment is. You have to keep doing whatever this is that may suddenly seem very unimportant. Those are big issues for us, right? Um, so yeah, we think about the irritation and the stuff that goes along with that, those, you know, irritability, not sleeping, sleeping too much, not eating, eating too much, self-medicating. Those are all big stress things that we see. What's the best way then to manage that? Talking about it. Yeah, talk about it's big. Exercise, that's a big one. What's that? Organization, keeping yourself organized. Maybe, if that works for you, okay? Diet. What's that? Keep your life balanced. Don't take too many shifts. Definitely. Find things to do outside of work. Mm -hmm. That are not work, right? So what are you going to do? Oh, let's go see this new uh, EMS movie. I don't know. <laughs> let's go volunteer to bandage people. I don't know. <laughs> um, let's see. Post-traumatic stress um, syndrome. I think we've called it a syndrome now. I think we've gotten word of the, rid of the D, and we're not calling it a disorder now. We're calling it a syndrome. Because disorders apparently hurt PTSS. people's feelings. It's just PTSS now? I think that's the new way we're pro approaching it. Um, but yeah, we know what that is. CISD, which is Critical Incident Step Stress <coughs> Debriefing, right? So those are those ones that trigger a strong emotional response, the death of a kid, the partner, the MCI, things like that. Um, we use those to re reduce that psychological trauma, right? When do we do um, that debriefing? Like 24 to 72 hours. Now, you can diffuse within the first eight hours, right? And diffusing is that breakdown on a call. You get together, you talk about it. You know, are you guys okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, cool. So let's talk about this tomorrow or the next day and, and really see where we're at with this. Because sometimes it takes a little while for the stuff we see to sink in, right? And it has a lasting effect, and you have different responses. You have the acute stress response. When does that kick in? Right away. Right away, right? That's the beginning of this. It happens, you get the jittery hands and everything, and then you get the delayed stress response that we see down the road where you might be having problems sleeping or something because you're, you're dwelling on this call, you're thinking about it, you're seeing it, whatever. And then you have cumulative stress response which is after a while, after you see all of this, it's continuous, it's everything built up on top of each other. And that's one of the big things that leads to burnout, right? Because we're sitting there and we're trying to live our lives and we just keep getting assaulted by the stuff that we're, that we're dealing with. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So we use that debriefing to reduce our psychological trauma as much as we can. We talk about pathogens. How do we get hepatitis A? Fecal oral. Don't eat poop. Okay? Make sure people wash their hands. Don't travel to third world countries like Canada. Right? South is probably a, a bigger direction. It doesn't even have to be third world. You just have to think about what you're getting, you know, when you go to certain areas. Hepatitis A only lasts about 45 days. It's not a big deal. You survive hepatitis A. Doesn't usually cause problems with the liver long term. Versus hepatitis B. How do we protect ourselves against hepatitis B? 
<laughs> Washing your hands is good. That's number one way to pre prevent the spread of infection. But how do you get hepatitis B? Needle sticks, okay? Um, it's about bloodborne pathogens. Um, some of those other uh, contacts can get it as well, but it's bloodborne. That's our biggest one of this. We can protect ourselves against it with three little shots, right? Yeah. So it's a series of three immunizations. Um, if you get hepatitis B and it becomes a problem, it affects your liver. Having your liver be a problem turns you yellow. Yellowness is called jaundice. Okay. And then there's the new one, which is hepatitis C. That's also a needle stick kind of thing, blood-borne pathogen. Um, haven't really had a whole lot of luck with that in the years past, but lately in the last maybe year and a half, suddenly seen big changes, right? Um, HIV, human immunodeficiency virus, uh, we used to say will lead to AIDS, right? But that is not the case anymore. We have a lot of people who are HIV positive who are not turning to AIDS because we have such better meds. Um, we, have, we talked about pre for the people who have more of an at-risk lifestyle. Um, and I, there was a second one that was advertised during the Super Bowl. Anybody catch that this, uh, this year? No. So there's a new, um, I guess, rival for pre that's out there um, for the same thing. The, it was an interesting commercial. Okay. Uh, what does BSI stand for? Body Substance Isolation. Uh-huh. And when should we wear our body substance isolation? Always. Always. What's our, what, yeah, every day, 24 hours a day, when you kiss your wife, whatever. <laughs> your gloves. I have gloves at home. Gloves, now. Okay, my wife, I think, has the flu, so woo! Wear that mask. I told her she has the coronavirus, so I'm going to send it to um, But yeah, BSI. What's the bare minimum of BSI? Gloves. Gloves glasses. and glasses. Okay. Your question? Um, for pathogens, you just want us to know those like, main ones? Or oh yeah, you should, you should know about tuberculosis as well. How's tuberculosis spread? Indirect contact, right? Water droplets, okay? Everything else is direct contact. You have to have to get blood on you, in you, or something like that. Tuberculosis is a matter of, you know, <laughs> I cough, you have it, okay? Smallpox is kind of like that as well, but we don't talk about that because it's super scary. Um, you should understand the basics of the respiratory stuff like SARS, but not a lot, okay? Um, but we talked about the best way to, to prevent the spread of infection, that is... Washing your hands. And what is universal precautions? You treat everything as if it's infected, okay? The general rule for EMS is if it's wet and sticky and it's not yours, don't touch it without gloves. If you have your gloves on, you can touch just about anything, right? But you shouldn't lick everything. Don't be Miley Cyrus. Okay? We know about exposure, direct and indirect contact, things like that. Know your signs and symptoms of all the stuff. HIV, right? Fever, weight loss, um, wheezing, coughs, um, sores. Those are all kind of in that HIV range. Um, hepatitis, um, you know, we know they're blood-borne for B and C, poop-borne for A. You know that uh, uh, abdominal pains, nausea, jaundicing are things that we might see, stuff like that. All right, we talked about scope of practice already, right? Yeah. Yep. We talked about standard of care. Yep. Yeah. 
When do you have a duty to act? When you're on the clock. When you're on the clock, okay, that's definitely a point. However, are there other times that you have a duty to act potentially? All right, so if you're volunteering, um, now the volunteering thing gets to be the weird thing because some people volunteer and they, I do shift work, right? I volunteer, I work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Northland Ambulance, I'm on the clock duty, right? Other groups, when you go out more rural, they may be volunteers and they only respond if they're available, right? And so they have a radio and they respond from home to the scene. Somebody usually is responsible to go get the fire truck or the ambulance and drive them to the scene. Usually that's somebody anymore who's stationed at the station. So there's not this, I got to drive 10 minutes to get the ambulance and then 10 minutes back the other way. But that still does happen occasionally. But when you are acting as, you know, an EMT, you have um, a duty to act. If you are just driving down the street, do you have a duty to act? No. no. Okay, you're wearing your uniform in public, do you have a duty to act? Yes. yes. No. Do you? Are you covered by your physician's license? No. no. Okay, does that get more muddy though? Because suddenly there you are and you're wearing a, a shirt that says front range ambulance on it and they're like, this guy's choking, you're like, yeah, I'm on my break. <laughs> right. I'm just on my way home. I'm not on duty. How's that going to look? Very bad. Very bad. Now, what could you do if you're wearing your front range ambulance shirt? Put a jacket on. Just buy it. <laughs> Spill coffee on it really quick. That guy's oh, choking. Okay. Yeah, cover it with your name tag that says front range ambulance with your name on it. Yeah. Call to your physician. Not bad. Well, what you can do is you can do everything that a first aider can do, right? You don't have your kit, you don't have your ambulance, you don't have any of that stuff, right? But you could help a choking victim by doing abdominal thrust. You could do CPR. Would you do mouth-to-mouth? -mouth? No. Hell no. I would do hands-only CPR. I would direct somebody. I'm like, blow in his face. This is your cousin. He's <laughs> not my cousin. You got two choices, blow or don't blow. I'm not blowing. I don't know you. I don't know where you've been. How much do you love your cousin? Right? Be careful about being flippant, though, on those things. Much fun as it is, apparently, that's not a really good way to So, on the clock, acting as EMT. Yeah. If you're in a position where you're required to do that and you have to call, you have to respond to a 911 call, you have a duty to act. And when you show up, it's not just as much as going to the call, but when you show up and someone's pulseless and apneic, you have a duty to act. That duty is to do CPR. When you show up and somebody's been ejected from a vehicle, you have a duty to act by stabilizing their C-spine, evaluating the patient, and probably putting them on a backboard, right? And so those are duties within that initial duty to even respond. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, when are you protected by Good Samaritan? When you're not when on you're the clock. Not when you on the don't clock. have a duty to act, right? So you're off the clock, you may be a volunteer firefighter, a volunteer EMT with the rescue squad, but you're just sitting out, sitting there at, you know, Cracker Barrel, and don't laugh, Cracker Barrel is very tasty, and they've got a great shop, just saying. Anyway, so you're sitting there at Cracker Barrel, and somebody starts choking, and you go over and you try to help them, you're covered by Good Samaritan, right? As long as you do your care to the best of your ability and without compensation. Right, so you're not getting paid for it. If they buy, if you save their life and um, they buy your lunch, 
at Cracker Barrel, were you compensated? Yes. yes. Maybe, right? Depends on how the lawyers want to look at it. Well, you helped her out, but you also broke her a rib and they paid you for your services. Okay? So you gotta watch out for those lawyers. Some of them are a little, uh, a little iffy. So the Good Samaritan law does not protect you from being sued? No. It doesn't protect you from being sued, because I can sue you for having that haircut, okay? I'm like, I like the haircut. I want to have it, but you have it, so I can't have it. So I'm going to sue you for that. Now, is it going to be successful? No, because that's stupid and frivolous, right? Um, but it protects you from the outcome, because when you go, they're going to stand you up in court and say, what'd you do? Well, this lady was choking, and what'd you do? Well, I asked if she was choking, what'd she say? <laughs> so what'd you do? I did the Heimlich Maneuver abdominal thrusts, exact same thing that um, they are taught in CPR from Red Cross American Heart Association, and she cleared um, her airway. Well, she's got a broken rib. Well, you know, it's a violent thing. I mean, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to hurt her, but her, she was turning blue, and she couldn't breathe, and I was trying to clear her airway. I'm very sorry that that happened, right? They're like, all right, cool. <laughs> Keep your haircut, okay? Um, yeah, when I show up on Wednesday with the same haircut, you're going to be like, yeah. uh, Let's see here. Don't go to lunch with a patient. Uh, Don't go to dinner with a patient. Where are we at here? Oh, types of home. consent. What, oh what, Robin, is expressed consent? Expressed consent has to be obtained from every patient, and it's a verbal um, or a direct, like, yes. So a head nod if, you know, they are... Um, uh, they express can't talk. Yes. yes. <laughs> they express their consent. They say yeah. yes or they nod their head. And Blink twice, clear. thumbs up. Yeah. Something that's a clear indication, right? Yeah. So then what would be implied consent? Uh, Mark? Uh, that would be if the patient's unconscious and they can't give express consent, then it's assumed that they would be okay to be taken care of. Yep, absolutely. What about involuntary consent, Nick? Um, involuntary consent would be like <coughs> consent from for a minor. They're not. They don't really have the right to. Partially, minor consent is actually minor consent. As if they're unconscious. It's, it's for like, that's implied. Like, not if you have like somebody on a psych hold or something. Uh, yeah, psych hold, intoxicated, drugs, something where they are. You're not able to prove that their mental status has clinical decision making capacity. That's that person. Okay, um, what was that one? and so then what oh, is in four yeah, what was it called? What was it called? So that's involuntary. Involuntary. Um, basically, when the patient is responsive and able to make a rational decision, and you explain all the risks and benefits, and you get a verbal yes from them. Yes. You see that a lot in the doctor's office, especially in surgeries, right? Big express consent with that, with people watching and people signing forms. Or not express, but informing consent. Um, advanced directives, okay, the DNR, do not resuscitate. What happens, Jess, if you have a DNR and, or they say they have a DNR, but you can't prove it? Then you continue. Do CPR and then do what? Call the medical director. Call your medical director, right? What, is, what happens if you show up and somebody's doing CPR? Thank them. Thank them, and? Take over. Starting with? Calling the medical director. <laughs> check a pulse. Remember, lay people aren't taught to check a pulse, right? Mm. Medical professionals are. 
when we show up, when we do this, when if they've been doing CPR, like, okay, we're going to go ahead and take over. Thank you so much for this. Tell us what happened, and you check a pulse and breathe. Maybe what they did worked. Maybe it didn't, but this is your time to take a second. Let me give you a, a quick story. Um, I went to the uh, Commerce City Rec Center on uh, CPR in progress, and I'm like, all right, cool. We roll in. We got our kit, our bag, everything else. We roll in. We go to roll in through the door, and there are all these CPR mannequins on the floor, and I'm like, oh, on a CPR class. Like, this is going to be good. I burst through the door and I look and they're doing CPR on a human. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Way to freaking die in the right spot. <laughs> um, the guy actually was fine. He had a seizure. It was the instructor collapsed to the floor and had a seizure. And so they're like, let's do CPR. They're like, wait, what are we, what are we doing? Was anyone paying attention? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it was still early in the class. Um, oh, but yeah, that's they for it, so that's good. Um, wow. <laughs> well, Where's the so AD? What's the, rule, what's the rule for an AED? What's the contraindication for an AED? Uh, they have a cardiac arrhythmia. If, what's that again? If the patient has oh. a pulse, Maya says. Okay. Yes, if they have a pulse, you don't put it on. If you don't know when you put it on, if they've got any kind of organized activity, is it going to shock them? No. Nope. Okay. If the patient's moving around and it says quit moving the patient and the patient's moving on their own, take the AD off. Stop CPR. Okay. Um, living wills we don't really deal with. Competency is about understanding, right? That AO times four thing. Are they competent? Do they know who they are, where they are, what's happening to them? Um, negligence, four things to prove with negligence. The first thing you got to prove is duty to act. Then you have to prove breach the duty of act. You didn't act. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. Then you have to prove there were injuries or harm. And that's easy to prove because most people don't call 911 unless there is some kind of injury, illness, harm thing. But then you have to prove that it was caused by it. It was caused or worsened by the EMT's breach of duty. That's a pretty hard one to figure out because if you show up and they're dead and you didn't do something, did they get deader? No. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's negligence. You should know that. What's abandonment, Megan? Abandonment? So if you were to, say, take the patient to the hospital and you give that patient to somebody who doesn't have the proper care to give to them, that could be considered... So what training do they need to have? What's the words you need to say? Equal or higher training. And preferably the designate who's supposed to take it. So like the hospital, right? So um, if I'm an EMT and you're an EMT, can I transfer care to a patient to you? Yes. Yes. If I'm an EMT and I have IV certification, can I transfer patient care to you? No. Maybe. Only if they do. They don't. But if I didn't start an IV... I didn't give them anything outside the scope of a regular EMT, oh. can I transfer care to that EMT? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, if I'd have started an IV and then gave you that patient, could I do that? No. 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 And that's where abandonment really gets to be the problem is, is, you know, when something sounds really good and like the, we had a case, this was years, years ago, where a paramedic heard a call come in for a trauma and it sounded really exciting, and they were sure that they could do the most good on that scene. And so they had a patient who was having heart problems, and they had given the patient nitroglycerin and morphine, 
um, and told them told the EMTs to take the patient to the hospital mm. so that they could go on this big trauma, which sounded really exciting. That is abandonment. Because then they can't treat for the medication. You're, yeah, it's not within your scope. They were already being treated at a higher level of care and pushed down. Now, as a, as a paramedic, I may assess that a patient is intoxicated and doesn't need to have paramedic level care and give them to you, right. but I'm not going to have started higher level care and then push that down, and that's kind of that process. All right, questions on that? You good? Mm. I don't know. Sure. <clears throat> Who can refuse? Everyone. Okay, so a four-year-old can refuse? No. 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 So not everyone. <laughs> I knew they can't reach someone to listen. Yeah. No! <laughs> Do it anyway. Pin them to the ground. You're bigger than them. Okay, what else? Confident. So not everyone. They have to be competent. What if it's a competent four-year-old? <laughs> no such thing. Nah, I don't know. You never met my daughter. Brilliant. That's what they all say. What's that? Of legal age. Of legal age. What is legal age? 18. 18. Okay, adult. We're going to use the word adult. Because of legal age depends on different things. Because of legal age to smoke now is what? 21. 21. So you can't smoke, but you can buy a gun. You can't smoke, but you can go fight the military, right? So be careful of what the of legal age part is. Legal age for sexual consent, right? And that varies by state. In Arkansas is like 12, but they have to be your sister. <laughs> <laughs> what? I didn't make the laws. I might have been making that up. Distinctly probable. Have you been to Arkansas? You know, the only compliment you can give somebody from Arkansas? Nice that is a nice tooth. That is a nice tooth. That's a nice tooth. Do you know anyone from Arkansas? They take so much garbage. Actually, Arkansas is very nice. Um, all right, where was we, where were we at? Um, Consent. Oh yeah, refusal, abandonment. Um, so it's gotta be a competent adult, and when you refuse, the patient has to understand the risks involved with refusal, okay? Including words like, you could die. Okay? Assault and battery is touching and, and scaring people, where scaring people technically is assault, like I said. A lot of municipalities have changed that so that simply they only use the assault side of things, not both. Um, from there, kidnapping, <laughs> taking something against their will, you know that. And confidentiality, that's that whole HIPAA thing. When can you release patient information? Under their consent. You're passing Only to another. Written consent. Because if a patient says, yeah, you can go ahead and tell my mom, and then they say, no, I never said that, do you see a problem? Right. Right. Okay, so what? when can you release, who can you release information to? Other providers. Other providers who have vested interest in the patient's care, right? So I'm another provider, right? Can you tell me about your patient that you took to the hospital? Not specifics, right? right? Now, their nurse that you're handing off to? Yeah. Absolutely. For billing and stuff like that, what about the law? With a court order. A subpoena, yeah. right? A subpoena or a court order that says that you have to release that information. There was a big thing, you guys can uh, Google this for YouTube. There was a cop who was demanding that a nurse draw blood from a patient yeah. for suspected DUI. And it got ugly, and they arrested the nurse mm -hmm. 
because yeah. she wouldn't draw the blood because they didn't have a court order to do so. She followed what she thought was the best practice, which was the best practice. The hospital didn't come down and stand behind her like they should have. All you got to do is get a court order. I'm the investigating officer. Who gives a flying flip? That patient's no, not in your cut. Now, if you want to arrest them and take them to jail and draw it at jail, you do whatever you want, but you're going to have to take them out of this hospital. So she ended up getting arrested. Um, she got out. There was not a big deal. The police totally backed away from that. But how much damage was done in that 15 minutes between the police and the hospital and their working relationship? Right, terrible. Do you want to be the cop that gets wheeled in now? And then all the nurses are like, oh, you have a kidney stone. Jeez, that sucks. Yeah, we've got some meds for you. We're really busy. See you in about four hours. Right? <laughs> You don't think nurses hold a grudge? Oh, I mean, they're yeah. not smart, believe me. I've met nurses. All they do is play play cards and wear doctor stethoscopes. <laughs> oh, it was really aggressive. The cop was like really, really amped up. It was a power play thing. We'll talk about that. Police escalate. We tend to de-escalate. But yeah, it was bad. And I'm really proud of that nurse for sticking to her guns and saying, hey, no, I'm not gonna do it. You wanna go stab him? Here's a bunch of stuff sitting on this table. Go stab it. Do whatever you want. Cheers. <laughs> um, let's see here. <clears throat> HIPAA, we understand HIPAA. Donors, what do we do different for donors? Nothing. 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 Holy crap, we haven't even made it to A&P. We're 40 minutes in. Put them on ice. Eh, yeah, don't put them on ice. What are presumptive signs of death? All of them. <laughs> decapitation. So decapitation is presumptive? Ooh, it's mind. definitive. It's definitive. <laughs> Presumptive, no pulse, no breathing, no like blood pressure. Like a chicken running around without a head. Unresponsive, right? Cold is fine. Those are all presumptive things. Um, no pupillary dilation, right, or constriction. Um, those are presumptive. Decapitation, decomposition, um, with dependent lividity, rigor mortis. If their brain is some of it's coming out of their skull, is that a, de a definitive sign of death? No. No. People are shot in the head all the time, okay, and some of them survive, okay? Now, if their whole brain is out. Probably. That's pretty, pretty competitive. Okay. Um, we always have to um, report abuse, whether it's child, domestic, um, elder, things like that. We are mandatory reporters. Look through the other stuff, but let's get to A and P stuff for a minute. What is homeostasis? One word. Balance. Balance. What did you say? No, no, <laughs> was what? Internal stability. It's okay. It's about the same thing, right? It's the you know this stability of the internal relative consistency of the internal environment of the body yeah, would be a way to put it. Balance is fine. Okay, good. Uh, you guys know anterior and posterior, right? Yep. There you go. Mid-axillary. Yep. yep. Side. Armpit, right? Front to back. Mid-line. Yep. Right to left. Okay. Um, Is it the same as medial? Yeah. Medial is towards the middle. Um, lateral is away from the middle. So if we were to talk about bones, what's the medial bone in my arm? The ulna. Ulna. What's the lateral bone of my lower leg? Radiant. The fibula. Tibia, tibia the is the big one. Okay. Yep. Fibula, little fib. 
Yeah. Right? Little I. So it's lateral, right? Little fib, L lateral. Because when the book it just said it was like it had two different names for the oh, same. Oh, just line. for like midline? Right. Yes, but not medial. Midline splits right and left. Medial is towards the middle lateral. Yeah, there was. So, so double check that for you. Superior, inferior, all those things. Prone is how? Face down. Face down. Supine is on their back. On their back, face up. Fowler's is on their side. side. 45 and to 60 is oh, fine or greater than 45. Semi Fowler's is down. Um, cool. Bones. Oh, sagittal. Sagittal divides into left and right median plane, same as midline. Midline is your body's left and right. Sagittal yeah. is like your heart is left and right. Yeah, sagittal so, is just a division. Don't think of it like that. Think okay, that's what I was Midline is the center of your body. Okay. And then sagittal okay. is like splitting your heart and yeah. your left and right. Okay. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah. What were we talking about? Oh, bone. Frontal. Parietal. Temporal. Occipital. Orbital. Zygomatic. Around the eye is. Orbital. Maxilla, mandible. mandible. See how easy that was? How many cervical spine do you have? Five. Seven. Seven. What? Seven. Sorry. Oh. Seven. <laughs> Breakfast. Okay. Cervical spine, there are seven. How many thoracic? Twelve. Twelve. How many lumbar? Five. And is the sacrum, which is part of the pelvic structure, but not technically part of the pelvis. Pelvis. Okay. You're talking about the pelvis, what are these? Ilium. Iliac crests. You sit on your ischium, and in the middle where it comes together is the pubis. Okay? Uh, what runs down the um, spinal column? Spinal cord. Spinal cord. And that's responsible for bringing information to and from the brain. And what's the hole that it goes through? The big hole. The foramen magnum, the big hole. Yeah, but you should probably know the medical term. <laughs> um, foramen, which means hole. Magnum, which means Large. big. Okay? Foramen so magnum. big hole. Somewhere there's a joke that I'm not chasing. I'm just getting it out of my head. <laughs> I was thinking about the Super Bowl halftime show. Anybody see that? That was interesting. <laughs> It was exciting. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was good. I thought Jayla looked good. Jayla's good. Yeah. She's also 50. She is. Hang it. Shakira, she used to dance better. I don't like that thing she did with her tongue. <laughs> with her, her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun up until then. Uh, <laughs> I was working, I didn't see it. Uh, All right, let's focus on this. I what watched is kyphotic? Because I didn't mention that. That's a term I didn't use. I know I didn't use it all. I have no that's idea. Yeah, that's that hunchback kind of thing. Little old ladies get this a lot, little old men. Because we don't stand up and like strengthen all those muscles, they get that look, right? Um, Lordosis is that lower kind of sway back look as well. Oh. It kind of tucks underneath. Um, you can go forward and end up like a clamshell. You can actually go backwards as well. Gymnasts have a bit of that because they have such really strong back muscles. When you look at gymnasts, it seems like their back sways out backwards a little too far. Yeah, lower back, right? Um, Old lady Pelvis, we talked about <laughs> that. What do we break when we break a hip? Your femur. Your femur. It's your femur, right? It's your proximal femur, way up here up at the top. Um, your hip isn't your pelvis bone. That's a pelvic fracture. Um, 
So other extremities, this bone is the humerus, humerus. radius, radius. ulna, carpals, carpals. metacarpals, phalanges. What are the ones on the feet? Tarsals. Okay. What is the, we know the femur, what's the big one at the bottom? Tibia. Tibia. The little one is the fibula. fibula. Bye, Kara. Good night seeing you. <laughs> Good luck. Study hard. Um, let's see here. What do ligaments do? Attach bone to bone. Bone to bone. Okay. And what do tendons connect? Muscle to bone. Muscle to bone. Muscle to bone. Okay. Um, the way I think about it, I think I might have already told you this, is I think of it like an L. If you've got a bone that comes like this, and then another bone that kind of looks like this, like your arm looks like an L, right? Tendons is like your gastrocnemius, right? Which connects off there to your heel bone, which is your calcaneus, right? So if that helps, great. If not, I don't care. There are different <laughs> types of muscles, striated muscles that are voluntary. Where do we find those? Everywhere. Skeletal. Skeletal muscles, right? They're the ones that move us, give us strength, protection, things like that. They're voluntary. Um, what about smooth muscle? Where do we find that? Your heart. Not in your heart. Okay, where? Dan? Dan, Dave, you look like a Dan, I know. Right. Uh, your vessels, right? Where else? Intestines. Intestines. They're responsible for just simple squeeze stuff and peristalsis, that kind of process in your right. intestines. Okay. Um, and then the last one is cardiac. cardiac muscle. Okay, cardiac muscle. We'll get to more specifically in a minute. Let's see here. Greg, how far um, in the study guide is the exam? So we're gonna go through everything that we talked yeah. about. Yeah. I didn't go any further on our last day than what we have on the exam. So through vital signs and history. I would know things like sample and OPQRST. And Not ambulance phases or... Ambulance uh, might have some lifting. stuff in there. Might be a lifting or question or two. Yep. What about chapter 12? No, 12 is, is communication. Is that what it is? Oh, scene size up. No. What about what? There might be a lifting and moving question. When you lift and move, how should you keep the weight? Evenly distributed. Close to your body, lift with your back. legs, not your back. It should be the firefighter, yes, but that's what happens when, you know. Will you take that as an answer? As a what? Lift if, with it's your on, if I put lift with your firefighter on the test, you may put that down on the right. What's that? Both? So you want to put two answers. Yeah. You thinking about like increasing your chances? Of being <laughs> Just choose one of these. I guarantee I will Just not put everything. with your firefighter on any test that is going to be delivered in this class. Maybe a quiz. Okay. Are you kidding me? We're closing at five. Yeah, they're closing. What? It's all right. You got lots of time. Rip. Missy's class will make it all I the way through class. Just got really great. That's unfortunate. Closing at five. She used to have a night class. That bad. You get really screwed on this program. Yeah, I can't wait to try to go home. I know that'll be fun. Same same thing as in the syllabus. Yes, one hundred questions, multiple choice, not guess, choice. Okay. Multiple guess. 
Not guess. Educated guess. <laughs> All right, great. Let's see here. Um, divisions of the abdomen. What's in the right upper quadrant? Give me something, Zach. Liver. Liver. I'm not Zach. Oh. Sorry. I didn't know you were talking. Oh, my God, Tristan. I think He's I've like... talked to Zach already once before today, too, didn't I? Is Zach even in here? He is. No. He's not. Okay. I took my shirt in. You better never not have your shirt tucked in. Okay. So, Tucker, liver, what is it? Solid or hollow? I know who he is. Tucker. He said he tucks his shirt in, so now he's Tucker. I think it's solid. You think it's solid? I'm pretty sure it's solid. You're pretty sure it's solid? It's solid. What are you going with? What? Solid. Solid. You're solid on solid? solid. Good. What does it do when we talk to what, what uh, Austin? Liver. Liver. What's that? Yeah, what does it do? Uh, fights off toxins. Okay. So it's a filter. Yeah. Filter. Right? It also makes? Uh, bile. Which is stored where, Burke? Uh, gallbladder. Gallbladder, which is hollow <laughs> or solid? Hollow. Strong. What's in the lower right quadrant or the right lower quadrant that's interesting? Uh, Small intestine. Clara? I know. What's that? It's your appendix. What's it for? Nothing. We don't know. It's a thing Just cut it out. Bacteria storage. Flora. What do you do when you get C. diff? Cut it out. Fecal transplant. Yep, they do. They have somebody who lives in the same household as you poop into something, and then they put their poop in you. I mean that. 100%. Imagine being a dude that does a procedure. That's what they do. <laughs> Digestion juices. Trying to get in your last ones. I see you packing up. You're like, I'm going to get in the last ones here. Insulin and glucose. glucagon. It also produces digestive enzymes. Right, Jordan? And then we know about the stomach. What do the kidneys do? Filter blood. Filter blood. They filter blood. They manage pH. They make urine. Urine. Okay, good. Respiratory systems, trace a uh, uh, drop of air, a molecule of air as it comes in, goes through the nasal. nose, the nair, right? Um, the nostril, and then it goes around those little plates called turbinates. turbinates, which causes the air to have more contact with the mucous membrane, which does three things for you. Warm, warm humidify, dry, humidify, warm, Dry. Well, no. Warm, Warm humidify, humidify, and filter. And that's filter. the word I was looking for. Filter the air. Okay. The air then that's warm, humidified, and filtered ends up in what? Nasal pharynx. Nasal pharynx, which drops through the oral pharynx, which drops into the laryngeal pharynx, and ends up at the last part of the upper airway, which is the larynx. Oh, right? so what's above in, larynx? Anything above the larynx is upper airway. Anything past your vocal cords is the lower area. Yeah, no, but you called it something before the larynx. Laryngeal pharynx. Laryngeal pharynx. So there's nasal, oral, laryngeal pharynx. The whole thing is simply called your pharynx. Okay. okay? Wait, laryngeal and, and larynx are the same thing, right? Laryngeal means... <coughs> laryngeal pharynx and larynx are the same thing? Or no? No, different no. things, okay? Um, voice box, okay? Larynx, okay? Okay, your nose is up here, your mouth is here. Nasal pharynx, oral pharynx, laryngeal pharynx, the whole thing here, pharynx, this is the 
Lurks. 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 Oh, okay. Right? Makes sense? Okay. Yeah. Now, as you swallow food, and I probably should have put this way more forward, there's the mouth and there's the nose. As you swallow food, there's a little leaf-like structure right here that closes over and blocks off Epiglottis. Uh, to the larynx, that's called the epiglottis. epiglottis. Okay, that's an important structure for us because it keeps the airway from getting um, occluded by food, right, or whatever else it is. Our first ring, the cricoid or cricoid cartilage, is a complete and total circle. All the rest of them are shaped like what? Seas. That holds your trachea open so the air can rush in because it has to be able to rush in because we use what kind of pressure to get air in? Negative. Negative, which is created by the diaphragm doing what? Relaxing going going down. down. And the chest expanding. Negative pressure, air sucks in. That requires energy. We call that an? Passive, but active process. So it's an active process breathing in. Breathing out should be? Inactive. Passive. Passive. Okay? It's just a relaxation of everything else. So the main muscle of respiration is the diaphragm. Um, what's normal breathing rate? 12 to 20. 12 to 20. That's the main one I want you to know. The outside edges are 8 to 24, but 12 to 20 is the main one I want you to know. Yeah. Uh, how much did you want to know about like the, like uh, individual ages, like as far as like adolescent? I want you to have an idea about those. If I were to ask the respiratory rate of a newborn, you expect that to be pretty much in that 40 to 60 range, okay. right? So have a good idea about that. If an adult is breathing over a hundred, over a hundred, <laughs> um, if they're breathing over 20 times a minute, we call that hyperventilating. Potentially tachypnea. Tachy means fast. So if the heart rate's over a hundred, it's tachycardia. So it's T A C H Y P N E A, right? Bradypnea is the same thing. Brady P N E A is is bradypnea, okay? Um, so less than 12? Less than 12, okay? Generally well conscious, okay? What is that called? Bradypnea? Bradypnea. Bradypnea. B-R-A-D-Y-P-N-E-A. Oh, what is our what is our drive to breathe? Um, CO2. CO2. We call that hypercarbic. Hypercarbic um, drive is why we breathe because of an increase in CO2. Um, the backup for that is hypoxic. hypoxic drive. Who's most likely to have hypoxic drive? Older people. COPD. There you go. COPD people. People with prolonged ventilatory problems like uh, COPD, think emphysema bronchitis, where they always have a buildup of CO2 because they're not washing it out very well. Those are people that you think having, um, having hypoxic drive. What's our concern with hypoxic drive? Too much oxygen. Giving too much oxygen. Why are we worried about that? Um, because the body has already um, accumulated for lack of oxygen, and giving them too much oxygen could cause them to get worse. Okay, it could shut off their drive to breathe, right? Now, conscious people, that's probably not going to be a problem for them, honestly. It's the long-term, high-flow oxygen, innovated patient that that's really going to be a bigger problem for them. 
sorry, the term for the primary drive, carbo? Hypercarbon. Hypercarbon. Okay, too much CO2. Um, uh, let's see here. We talked about the pleura, right? They're the, the layers that surround the heart. You have visceral. Where are the visceral pleura? Inside. The outside. On the lungs. They're the outside oh. of the lungs themselves. They are visceral. They cling to the lung. Okay. Um, the parietal pleura then is the part that's around the rib cage. Rib cage. And in between there is a little bit of fluid. So it's like the difference between. I'm the lung, this is my visceral pleura, my shirt, this is my parietal pleura. Right. In between there's a little bit of fluid, and that Just fluid actually helps to make a suction, which helps to expand the lungs and make that negative pressure force. Okay. Um, let's see here. What's minute volume? Well, actually, let's start with this. What's tidal volume? The amount of air you breathe in. The amount of air you breathe in and out in one, one, one breath. So minute breath. volume is... How many times you breathe in one minute? That's the rate. The amount of air that you breathe in out in one minute. So it's tidal volume times ventilatory rate, right? So what's normal tidal volume for an adult? 500 milliliters. Yep. So 500, that's your tidal volume, right? Your respiratory rate or ventilatory rate might be 20. So that would make this be about 10 liters per, um, come on, take that in there. 10 liters per minute, right? Because you're taking this times 500. If you're on the low side of that at 12, right? That is about six liters per um, minute. Okay, make sense? That's minute volume. Now the thing we said was is that there is also dead space. How much is the dead space? 150. 150. That means that this 350 here, this is your alveolar fill or alveolar fill, ventilation, right? That's your volume. So while you're breathing in 500, only 350 is making it into the alveoli. That's the useful part, and that becomes important for us because if you're breathing shallow, and you're only breathing 200. Uh, milliliters instead of 500, you're only getting 50 in there, right? Remember how that worked out? Yeah. That's the important part. Okay? All right. Dyspnea. What does dyspnea mean? I don't know. Difficulty breathing. Dyspnea. D Y S P N E A. Dyspnea. Difficulty breathing. How do we find people who are dyspneic? Or short of breath. Tripod, good Robin. That tripod look for sure. Um, cyanosis is turning blue. Blueness, and what's it associated with? Not breathing. Low perfusion. Low oxygen level. Low oxygen. Hypoxia. Okay. So H Y P O X I. Hypoxia. Low oxygen level. Hypoxia. Um, hypoxia. Um, that's what's causing the blueness. Right? It's not just about perfusion, right? Because you can have perfusion problems and still have good oxygenation. You turn pale and have other yeah. issues, right? What's that? That was my answer. 
Yeah, Fusion. Did you get your quiz out of the box? Yes. Good. So you can look at that because I wrote all over a bunch of them. Right. Okay? I noticed mine had a lot of writing. <laughs> <laughs> My hand was cramped trying to get through all of that Not today. Sure. What is the uh, what does it mean to auscultate by the by the way? Listen to the hard lungs with a stethoscope. To listen to anything with a stethoscope, right? Heart, lung, abdomen, blood pressure, to, it's, but it's not just to listen with, to your blood pressure, it's to listen with a stethoscope, right. okay? Uh, we talked about pallor modeling. What is apnea? Can't breathe. Can't breathe. Not, no, apnea, A, means without. So not breathing. Not breathing, not breathing. okay? Versus agonal respirations. Apnea. What are agonal respirations? Deep breaths over a longer period of time. Like gasping breaths. Oh, very different than what you said. What did you say? Long pauses and gasping. Yeah, occasional gasping respirations. Yeah. That's the best way to think about it. There, there, there. And that's it. And then you just like, should we do something? Yes, probably. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We know that about upper airway sounds, we talked about gurgling, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fluid, right? We talked about snoring, strider, stuff like that. And we talked a little tiny bit about wheezing, but that wheezing is a lower airway sound, right? Bronchial constriction, right? If you got a bronchial that's like this, you hear, right? When it's smaller and it's little and your aperture and your lips goes down, it's like, right? And that's what's happening in your lungs is your bronchial constriction makes you whistle at a very small level, right? Um, whistle while you All right, the heart. You should be able to trace a drop through the heart. In fact, most of you guys did really well on that quiz, right? You should bring blood in through the superior and inferior. Vena cava. into the right. Atrially. Into the right. Ventricle. Out through the. Pulmonary. Semiluter valve or pulmonic valve in through the pulmonary. Arteries. to the lungs where it picks up fresh oxygen back through the pulmonary. Veins. Veins into the left. Bicuspid mitral. Now the mitral valve is an older name for sure, but people still cling on to that because they hear terms like mitral stenosis, mitral valve regurgitation, things like that, versus bicuspid valve regurgitation. Same thing, just people have a hard time letting go of that particular term. So through the bicuspid valve into the left, ventricle out through the aortic, aortic semilunar valve or aortic valve out through the aorta, which is an artery. Arteries become Veins. Arterials, oh. arterials become capillary. <laughs> like, I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that one for a second. Arteries are big. They become arterials, which become capillaries. Oh, I remember okay, writing this down. Which become venules. Venules. I remember writing these down. Veins. Veins. Right. Veins have valves, which help with your stair step up. Right here, arteries, arterials, capillaries. Most of your blood is in the venous system. About I remember writing that down it. before. It's just a slow slog back, right? All right. Um, the capillaries, if you think about it, it's like if your houses are cells, right? The street in front of your house is the capillary. That's where all the stuff happens, right? The mail delivery comes, Amazon comes, your nutrition's because you're paying rent, so you show up off that street. All the waste product goes because you take your trash can out to the curb. Those are capillaries. 
from your side streets, then you move on to um, a main street. From your main street, then you move on to the highway, right? That's the way to think about it. So the lungs are the same thing as the capillaries then sit around the alveolar bodies, the alveolar cells, right? And that's where oxygen goes back and forth through a process called respiration. Okay, in alveolar respiration, oxygen moves into the bloodstream, CO2 moves out. In cellular respiration, okay, oxygen moves into the cells, CO2 moves out. out right? So that's kind of how that process works. So yeah. Um, but yes, that's how arteries and all of that stuff works. Coronary arteries feed the heart. heart. And it feeds the heart when it is at rest. rest. Okay? And when the heart is at rest, what part of blood pressure is that? Diastolic. Diastolic. Okay. Um, so that's the only thing the coronary arteries do? Feed the heart? Yeah. Yep. That's it. And when you have a heart attack, you have a blockage in one of those. So the heart's never getting blood back to it. It's not getting blood to it to feed it, which means it's dying. That's what a heart attack is. Um, what's the strongest part of the heart? The left ventricle. Why? Because it pumps, pumps blood to the, to the rest of the body. Yeah, it's got to go everywhere, right? And if I were to say that your um, cells in your heart had the, the ability to generate its own impulse, that would be called? Automaticity. Because? Random question. Random question. Random question. <laughs> Excitability would be is if Jordan went, oh. Okay, <laughs> and then conductivity would be if Jordan snapped at Robin, and she went, "Oh yeah," uh. and then everybody went, uh. Uh. "Good." What can muscle cells do? Contract. 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 Do they stretch out? No, no. not on their own. We use opposing sets of muscles, right? Right. All right good. We know the normal heart rates for the SA node, sixty-one hundred. What about the AV node? 40 to 60. 40 to 60 in Purkinje fibers. 20 to 40. 40, 40. It's a nice way to how that works. Tachycardia, we said it was greater than 100. If it's less than 60, it's bradycardia. What if you have an athlete and their heart rate's at 44? It's normal. normal. Do the it rest could be normal for them, right? Is it still technically bradycardia? Yeah. Yes. yes. But we don't just look at the number, we look at the patient, right? Oh my God, your heart rate's 44, we must do something. Why, right? Or like this, your heart rate's 60. You should do something, right? Okay. Um, let's see here. You know what major arteries I want you to know, right? Yep. What's the only artery that carries um, deoxygenated blood? Pulmonary. Pulmonary, right. And what's the only vein that carries oxygenated blood? Pulmonary. Okay. Cardiac output. What is cardiac output? Heart rate times blood flow. Yes. Heart rate times stroke volume. Okay. All right. So cardiac output. Okay. Um, so this is the amount of blood that's pumped in one minute. Normal stroke volume is about 70 milliliters. Normal heart rate. Just put it at 80 beats per minute, gives you about 5.6 liters, 5,600 milliliters, however you want to look at it, right? Yep. And life is good. Cardiac output, 
times systemic vascular resistance equals what? Tidal volume? Nope. Blood pressure. Blood pressure equals? Life. 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 Everything your body does in shock is about maintaining a blood pressure because getting blood past the cells is perfusion. Who's gonna die from lack of perfusion? We all are. What do we call lack of perfusion? Shock. Shock. Okay. Um, what do red blood cells do? Carry oxygen. Super boring. What do white blood cells do? Fight infection. Fight disease. Bullseye womp rats and T16s. Yes. Or fight infection. Okay. What do platelets do? Stop you from bleeding out. Clot. Yeah. Clot. They're about clotting. You know systolic versus diastolic, right? Yep. Okay. Understand the basics of shock. We're going to continue to talk about shock throughout this whole class, but understand the basics of shock for this. Who do we use cap refill on? Infants. Kids, right? Children and infants, the best way to do it. And when it takes a long time, what should we be worried about? Lack of perfusion, okay? Hypovolemia is a big one, right? Especially like our patient that we showed in that quiz was a patient who was having um, vomiting and diarrhea for two or three days, that dehydrated kid, right? That's the kid we're worried about, slow. Now, it could be other forms of shock that can do that as well, but that's one we really worry about, okay? Um, what is diaphoresis? Yeah, sweating, right? Also, people call that cool, clammy skin, right? So, something about the nervous system. What is the part of your CNS, central nervous system? Brain and spinal cord. Your brain, you have your cerebrum, which is responsible for thought, Everything. thought thinking, memories, all of that stuff, speech, okay? Behind that is the cerebellum. What is that responsible for? Coordination. Balance and coordination. And then you have the medulla oblongata, your brain stem, which is responsible for? Vitals. Vitals, right? And we know that that then rolls out through that foramen magnum, okay? Um, let's see here. The brain and the spinal cord are covered in what? Meninges. Meninges. From the skull down, what's the outermost layer? Dura mater. then? Arachnoid, then? Pia Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, peripheral nervous system, that's kind of the everything else, right? That's the stuff that's motor neurons heading out, stuff that are sensory neurons coming back in. It is the connective place. We have voluntary and involuntary um, nervous control. Voluntary allows us to move around. Involuntary manages everything else. Involuntary is put into two different things. Parasympathetic and sympathetic. What is parasympathetic control? Digestion. Digestion. Rest and digest. Also, feed and breed. Sexual response is part of the parasympathetic side of stuff. Okay? Then the other side is? Sympathetic. Sympathetic, which is? Fight or flight or freeze, if you'd like to throw that in there. Okay? Uh, and we know that that completely changes everything. It's a release of epinephrine, norepinephrine. It puts you into Ferrari mode. Okay, or beast mode, so that you can fight or run away, right? That whole process. Um, the skin, the largest organ of the body, right? Yep. What's the outer layer called? Dermis. Dermis. Epidermis. Epidermis. Or epidermis. And what is it? 
protection. Dead and dying cells. Dead and dying cells. What is house dust? Dead and dying, Dead and dying cells. cells. Dead cells that are off of there, right? <laughs> Grandma, right? Your skin's about protection. It's about temperature regulation. It's about fluid regulation. We can get rid of extra fluid through it. We sweat. We keep fluid from getting in, which makes us waterproof, which again is awesome if you're in a public hot tub, because otherwise you would all just become stew. Okay. Um, the dermis is where all the good stuff is. And your skin tells you a lot about blood pressure, right? Because if you've got somebody who's pale, clammy, diaphoretic, we worry about a blood pressure or perfusion problem, right? We can see those things just by looking at somebody. Now, we're always going to check the blood pressure, but... Still something you should think about. Uh, digestive system. What is peristalsis? It's a wave-like motion that pushes that bolus of, of food forward. So right? peristalsis is the movement of the food through the intestine? Peristalsis is a wave-like motion that moves food. If there's no food and there's still peristalsis, then it's not moving anything. But that's just, it's the wave of it. It's the wave, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. Parts of the digestive system, obviously the teeth, right? The tongue for masticating. You have the esophagus, which is a muscular tube. And when you swallow, it's about muscle contraction, bringing the food to your stomach. It's not gravity, suction, or anything else. That's why you can eat upside down. Why NASA astronauts can drink water in space, right? When they're weightless, when they've been on the moon. <laughs> Just kidding. You think we've been there? Um, <laughs> sorry, man. Uh, another whole great conversation with my conspiracy theory buddy. New, new thing. Check it out. All right. Um, anyway, uh, esophagus goes to the stomach. Stomach mixes it around. You got your small intestines, which are responsible for absorbing, absorbing nutrients. nutrients. Your large intestines absorb water. Water mostly, in case of mineral, vitamins, stuff like that. Um, the pancreas produces insulin. We know that, okay? Kidneys are retroperitoneal. They produce what? Urine. 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 Goes through ureters, ends up at the bladder, follows out finally through the urine. urethra, okay? Um, reproductive systems are complementary. Does your book still say complementary? Do anybody go look and find that? Does it say complementary? I, I love that. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> what happened to your hair? Um, what happened to your hair? <laughs> we talked about public or pubic lice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite articles I read all of 2019. <laughs> um, I just think it's funny. Anyway, uh, so know the basics. The uterus, the top of the uterus is called the fundus. fundus. The bottom of the uterus where the hole is is called the cervix the vagina is a path between point a outside and the cervix on the inside fallopian tubes right ovaries men have testes um in a scrotum hanging out men have a uh, prostate where women don't also i don't care about all the other bits and pieces i'm not going to test you much on this at all um and then there were baseline vital signs right how fast do we breathe 12 to, 12 to 20. How fast is our heartbeat? 60 to 80. 60 to 100. That's our number. Okay. I know that 60 to 80 is kind of the, the honest answer of that, but 60 to 100 is a good number for us. Um, just so I know, does the content for this end after ambulance operations? Is that section? It ends after lifting and moving in ambulance operations, yes. Okay. You're leaving us? I'm giving you free 
time and you're just like, whatever, I don't care. Maya out. It's okay, I get it. I don't. Actually, I don't want to be here either, but I'm going to get you through the rest of this. <laughs> it's snowing. They're closing the college early. And tomorrow, you know what? They're going to close the college, and no, it's not going to matter to any of us. And I'm still going to have to be at the ER at 6.30. So. All right, anyway. Um, how often do we take vital signs on a critical Sorry. patient? Every five minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes. Stable? 15. 15. 15. Now, you can play within that anyhow you want. But if you're asked test questions, a critical patient is every five, five, five minutes. Okay? What is trending? What's your first set called? Baseline. Baseline. Because that's the one that all the rest of them is what trending comes off of, right? And a lot of you guys had some, some issues with the quiz, and it was like the heart rate was 80, and the blood pressure was 120-something over something good. And then the next one, it was like 60, and the blood pressure was still fine. The next one is 60, and the blood pressure was still fine. Those are all adequate. The blood pressure is good. The heart rate is fine. The heart rate came down. The blood pressure came down a little bit. That's fine. But we didn't go through the whole heart rate going up, blood pressure dropping piece, right? That's extremely inadequate. I don't even right. know if you were supposed to circle one of them. Yeah, that's what I did. You could circle one of them. You could write the word adequate. You could have wrote adequate down all of them. But there were some interesting things. It was like adequate, not adequate. Like, oh, my God, I think he's dying. What should I do? Please help. Somebody call a firefighter. Okay? Um, I'll give you a guess that it was probably one of them. Let's see here. We talked about auscultation, palpation, blood pressure. We know all of that stuff. Palpation is the difference of without the stethoscope, you're feeling it. So you can palpate. Palpate means to feel. Right. Okay. So the chest. So when if pulse. I pal, so who was in the back? I don't remember. I pushed on somebody's chest and back. Okay, yeah, it might it was, have been um, Dave's uh, chest, right? And I'm like, when no, I push was, on this, does it change the pain at all? Yeah, Dave's not here anymore. No, it was somebody was else. No, it was Dave. Oh, yeah. I pushed on Dave's chest. It was back right side or left side of that side anyway um but i pushed on his chest that's palpation if i feel your head for bumps that's palpation if i feel your pulse i'm palpating a pulse if i'm doing blood pressure by palpation i'm doing blood pressure feeling for where the pulse comes back and marking that as the systolic Systolic. There is no diastolic. Oh that's what I meant. I thought you were talking about you note the palpation as systolic but the palpation is the so as the number's coming down, okay, yeah. it's swinging down like this. When I feel the pulse, yeah. that number is the systolic right. blood pressure. There is no diastolic. No, that's what I thought you were saying, though, is that the feeling of it. Never mind. I'm on the same page. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, Screw it. What constricts pupils? Bright light. Bright light. Opioids. Our lady had constricted pupils. Even at normal doses, it doesn't have to be an overdose to have constricted pupils. So when you're talking to somebody and, and you know, you're assessing, so uh, Megan's eyes are probably about, oh, four to five millimeters. Those are fine. Those are perfect, right? They're equal. They're round. Um, if I got a light, I could see the constriction. Oh, yeah, look at this. Oh, no, it's kind of, kind of lame from there. He's got the, like, big light in there. Uh, oh, let me show you this. Okay. Um, but... Uh, watch people's eyes when you talk to them. And when you see people and their eyes are really small, there is a chance they are on some type of opioid. Okay, now whether that's morphine or Dilaudid or fentanyl or something like that, if they're very dilated, then it's more likely that they're on some type of stimulant. Methamphetamine, 
Um, things, uh, alcohol can dilate your eyes as well. Um, there are other medications, like some of the ADHD meds, expand your pupils as well, okay? Because in, that doesn't matter, I don't have time to get that. But watch for that. Unequal pupils though, okay? Think head injury. Yeah, doesn't even necessarily have to be trauma, but like if you've got a brain bleed on one side, you may see that change in pupillary size as well. Now, is there, is there other reasons that may happen? Like, you, one of my friends you had an was like, hey, look at my pupils. One was huge and one was small. Mm -hmm. And LSD. We were, we were fine. <laughs> You're going to die. You're going to die. Yes, there are different do. things. And I'm not going to get into all of them, but there are, I mean, heck, anything from I got a substance in my eye. I had dilator in one eye. I've got this, you know. But if you have the sun in one eye, what should happen to the other one? It should constrict. If there are muscular, accommodate, very good. Um, if there are muscular problems, lots of things. Anyway, um, Pearl and Pearl, we talked about that. What are orthostatic vital signs? From laying to standing. From laying to standing, okay. That's a big one. Uh, pole socks, what does it measure? Oxygen content. No. Theoretically. Just hemoglobin. the hemoglobin. Bound element to hemoglobin. It doesn't yeah. count the hemoglobin. It, bound, it counts what's bound to it. Hopefully because when you have oxyhemoglobin or carboxyhemoglobin, it still turns red and it still counts it as a normal count even though it's not oxygen. We want it to measure oxygen, right? Um, understand sample and OPQRST, right? And know the difference because if I were to... Uh, ask about the P for sample, that's different than the P for OPQRST, right? So know what they are. Okay. Lifting and moving, we talked yeah. about that. Body mechanics, keep the weight close to you, stuff like that. Emergency moves, we do that for people if there's like a toxic situation, um, hazardous thing. We had a guy who was driving southbound down I-25, intoxicated, but he was driving in the northbound lanes. Um, his car went head on with a Suburban. Guess who won? Suburban. The Suburban by a lot. Okay. Um, the guy was We're in the car, pinned in the car. It was me and uh, okay. <laughs> it was Rick Chenard. And the car caught on fire. And we're like, oh. <laughs> and there were no firefighters <laughs> around. <laughs> we're like, damn it. Where are my firefighters? I need them. So then we're like climbing in the car, trying to unpin this guy's broken ankles out from underneath the pedals to pull him out of the car as it became fully engulfed, okay? Um, he, I mean, he was out. Well, it wasn't like, eh, three, two, one, run, boom. It was nothing like that. And cars don't explode. But by the time the they fire can. department got there, yeah, the car definitely was can. definitely they fully can. involved in, in this process. And the drunk guy survived. Yeah, usually they do. do. They yep. do. Um, Fuckers. Still wearing my uniform. Sorry. We're gonna. You're gonna end up doing a whole bunch of CPR. I think that's gonna be a penalty phase for class. Oh. CPR in front of class. We'll just, get good at we'll put it. Put you somewhere and put it on the put it on the monitor and put it up on the TV. It's gonna be very distracting. Them. Nah, we're EMS. We should be able to work past that. All right. Did you guys feel like we refreshed, answered most of your questions? Do you have other yes, questions sir. of things that didn't feel clear to you? Um, I was wondering, are the questions from 
Hallmark quiz is going to be on this example. <laughs> the same ones? Yeah. No. I don't know. Maybe a couple. Definitely. It's not just your quizzes. Um, this test. Okay, let me explain this to you here. And you guys can push this out to the rest of the class. Um, we didn't get to be here. This test, above, above all of them, is a lot of this is this, this is that. It's not as much critical thinking. As we progress, it becomes a lot more like those. You are responding to a whatever-year-old female with a disc and thing. What is the best option? Um, this one, I might ask you, what is the section of spine superior to the thoracic spine? And you would say cervical, right? Um, but yeah, plan on critical thinking becoming more and more of these. You may write.